At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Now, all month long, we've been talking about Christmas, and we've talked about how Jesus is the gift the gift that God has given to us. He has, through Jesus, given us grace upon grace. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are given to us through Him. But how do we know that those gifts are truly intended for us? Well, just as when we exchange gifts in our day and age, we often will put whoever the gift is to, we'll put that name on the tag as we give them the gift so they know that gift is for them. So God tagged all of our names in the Christmas account so that we would know that the gift of Jesus is for us. Now, our Bible is not long enough to include the name, the the single name, of every individual that has ever lived. So in order for us to know that this gift is for us, God gave us categories of people that are tagged inside of the Christmas account to let us know that this gift is indeed for us. So far in this series, we've seen that Jesus is the gift for the distressed those who are troubled in this world. He's the the gift for the decent. He's the gift, last week we saw, for the dirty and those in need of forgiveness. And today we're going to see how Jesus is also the gift for the distant, those who are far off. And we're going to see that by looking at the account of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. But before we look at those 12 verses today, I was just thinking about those verses uh, this last week, and, and a, a memory came to my mind of an experience I had when I was a second grader. When I was a second grader, my dad turned 40. And so my mom decided to have a party for my dad. And the party that she decided to host was going to be a surprise party. And so she put together a guest list that included a number of local friends, people that lived in Bartlesville with us. And they were all sent invitations, told this is a surprise, and they were going to gather at a certain day at a certain time. But my mom went further than just inviting locals. She also invited some out-of-towners. She sent invitations to my dad's brothers and sisters and said, hey, come and help us celebrate Dick's birthday. And so the word went out and the party was scheduled, and my dad didn't know. Well, came town to his birthday, and my dad is inside, and I'm out front playing when I see a car drive up that's got my uncles and my aunt, and I am just, I can't contain it any longer. Like the herald angel, I had to start singing. And so I go running inside, and I I announce to the whole family, Dad, you are not going to believe who just pulled up. And you know what my dad said? I bet it's CB and Frank and Mary. He nailed it. Somehow, some way, he had figured out that they were coming, and he was actually expecting their arrival. Though it was a surprise that we had talked about and thought about, he actually was aware of it. And it made sense, right? If he's going to have a 40th birthday, the whole family would be invited. And so they were, and so we celebrated. Now, I know what you're thinking. What in the world does that have to do with Matthew chapter 2? Well, I think it has something to do with Matthew 2. Because when Jesus was born, a party was thrown. And when that party was thrown, the initial set of people who were invited to come were locals, right? We know this. We saw it last Sunday. The the shepherds who were tending the sheep just right outside the city of Bethlehem were invited to come in and to celebrate the birth of Jesus. There were some locals who were invited. But also, there were some out-of-towners who were invited. 
There were some of those who came from a distant land, and those were the Magi. And God sent a special invitation so that they would know that this was an event for them as well. And when they showed up, it certainly was a surprise. It was, it was a surprise to Herod. It was a surprise to all who were living in Bethlehem that this big group of Magi had showed up. But you know who it wasn't a surprise to? Jesus. At this point, from some evidence in the text, we think that he might have been as old as two years old. So you can imagine toddler Jesus sitting inside, and some village boy comes running in and says, Jesus, you're not going to guess who just showed up. And he would look at him and say, the Magi. They would, Whoa, how do you know? And he goes, it's a party. We invited the whole family. Friends, it was God's intention from the start that Jesus, Jesus would not just be honored by people in one nation, but he would be honored and celebrated and trusted by people of all nations. By the near, yes, but also by the distant. This morning, we're going to see that truth come out clearly for us as we look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you got a Bible, turn there. I want to read these 12 verses for us, and then after reading them, we'll back up and make three observations today that will help us know how this account connects to our lives. Matthew writes in his gospel, and he says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler." who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, friends, in these verses today, I want us to see three things that remind us that Jesus is the gift even to the distant. Now, the first of those things that we need to see is this. The distant may be close. The distant may be close. Now, we see that truth come out for us as we reflect on the Magi, the the central players in this Matthew 2 account. So, let's think for a moment about what we know about the Magi. Or first, let's just think about what we don't know about them. You know, tradition has tried to fill in the gaps on a lot of things related to Matthew chapter 2. But honestly, there are a lot of things that we just don't know. One thing we don't know is the names of these men. I mean, you might be able to search and find a Wikipedia article that will give you some traditional names, but we don't know what their names are. Their names aren't recorded in this passage for us. We don't even know how many of them there were. Now, traditionally, we think there are how many? Three. And why do we think there are three? Because there were three gifts. 
but we don't know how many of them there were. It sure seems like they were traveling with a group larger than three, because when they show up in Jerusalem, it put Herod on red alert, and the entire city of Jerusalem was wondering what was going on. It was a group large enough to put a significant city all abuzz. And so we think that there may have been even more than three. We don't know those things about them, but we do know what their profession was, and that is in their title. And the version that I just read, the English Standard Version, it calls them wise men. But if we were to take a literal translation of the word wise men, it actually is the word magi. Who were the magi? Well, the magi were a group of people in the first century who were stargazers. They spent their time looking at the stars, and they, they found a way to take their stargazing abilities and turn that into a way to make a living. Now, you can imagine how this might have worked in the ancient world. If you studied the stars and you could predict with any degree of, of clarity when an eclipse would happen, that would be an incredibly powerful thing to have. So you can imagine a magi going to a, a, a leader of a country and saying, if you give me $100,000, I will let the sun continue to shine. But if you don't give me $100,000, I will make the sun disappear. Well, while the leader is considering what he's going to do, what if the eclipse happened on that day? And then the magi could say to the leader, see, I told you, I can make it go away. And then suddenly they would be paid. The, the magi were people who had exploited what they saw and turned it into a way to make a living. So they were more wise guys than wise men in the first century. But that's who they were. Where were they from? Well, again, we don't know. They're from the east. That's not really a place, right? The east is not a place. The east is just out there someplace. But it says that they are from the east. Most likely, they were from what is modern-day Iran and Iraq. That would have been the region of the world where they were most likely from. Now, when you think about Iran and Iraq connected to Israel, oftentimes in our brains, we, we just say, well, they're just neighbors, right? They just were right next door. But let's think about how far it actually is from Jerusalem to Tehran, for instance. Anybody know how far that is? Well, Google does. I'll, I'll save you the search. It's 1,100 miles, 1,100 miles. Let's put that into a perspective that we might understand a little more. What's 1,100 miles from us? Mexico City is 1,100 miles from us. So you can imagine a distance of 1,100 miles in an age before planes, trains, and automobiles. It was a significant distance and from a different culture. The Magi lived in a country that worshipped other gods. That was what was going on in their lives. And this was significant because in the first century, they did not have the same categories that we have. You know, in our day and age, we are familiar with the Great Commission and, and the thought that the message of Jesus is for all people, and we send missionaries all over the world, and this is something that is very common for us. But in the first century, religion was very territorial. Every country had their own God. And so for people who lived in Israel and people who lived in Persia, that distance was even greater than 1,100 miles, even as great as 1,100 miles was. And yet, on that night that Jesus was born, an invitation went out to those who were distant and invited them to come and to worship. This was no accident. 
but the invitation was delivered. Now, how was the invitation delivered? The invitation was delivered through the star that they saw in the sky. Now, why would these folks in Persia or in Babylon look up at the sky and see a star and immediately think a king was born in Jerusalem, right? Why would they make that connection? Well, we need to know a few things that were happening in the first century. One thing that we need to know is something that happened in 44 B.C., In 44 BC, Julius Caesar died. And in this amazing twist, when Caesar died, they had a funeral for him. They had a funeral pyre above the spot where he was laid. And at that spot, as they looked up, as Julius Caesar was buried, suddenly there was a new star that appeared in the sky. A supernova had occurred at that moment. And, And when they looked up and they saw that star in the sky... Suddenly, the people of Rome said, see there, Julius has joined his place among the gods. And so there was talk in the first century of new stars in the sky being associated with kings who had somewhat divine aspirations. But not only that, but we also have inside of the the Jewish faith, inside of the Old Testament scriptures, we have talk of a star representing the coming of the Messiah. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17 talks about this, and it was a part of their expectation and their hope. As the Jews were scattered around the world in exile, including in Babylon, remember Daniel and his friends? News of this star and this hope of a Messiah were talked about all over that region, including in Persia and Babylon, something that the Magi would have had access to. Not only that, but maybe because of those prophecies and because of some things that Daniel had also said in his prophecy... There were a number of different historians in the first century that were around just before the time of Jesus that talked and attested to an expectation that people had of a world leader arising out of Palestine at that time. So all of this was this kind of pregnant moment that had them thinking and looking for something to happen and someone to arrive. So a new star appears in the sky and the Magi pack up and go. Now, when we think about that for a moment, I, I want to just, just think about as they saw that and they went, why did the Magi see it? Why did they see it? They were looking for it, right? This is what they did for a living. They spent their time looking at the stars, so they saw a new star. Isn't it amazing to think that God speaks stars? I mean, this is the scientist looking through the microscope and seeing the design of the universe in having that be what God uses to woo them to faith in Him. This is the research journalist like Lee Strobel who looks at evidence for the resurrection, studies it, and comes, becomes convinced that Jesus really did resurrect from the dead. God speaks research. See, God speaks all of our languages. And an invitation goes out in a, a form and in a way that the Magi would understand, and they are invited to come and to worship Jesus. Now, when you think about that, that that is something, again, that is very familiar for us, but it was something that was somewhat obscured for people who lived in the first century. Even though the Jewish scriptures had lots of information that talked about them being blessed for the benefit of the world. Genesis chapter 12, God talks to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you're going to be blessed He says, you're going to be blessed so that all the people of the world might be blessed through you. 
Psalm 67, Bruce read it for us earlier, talked about a desire for all the peoples of the earth to praise God, all the people to know Him. Isaiah chapter 60, among other places in Isaiah's prophecy, talks about people from foreign nations coming and and worshiping God. See, there's this expectation and this hope throughout the Old Testament scriptures of people from all over the world, regardless of their background, regardless of their their, um, ethnicity, coming and worshiping God. But those promises had not yet materialized. But when Jesus is born, the plan of God takes a new step. And invitations go out, and the distant are brought close. Now, because of that, there are a few things that I can share by way of application for us. First of all, the invitation, the very intentional invitation of God, of the Magi to come, is a reminder to us that I can say with confidence, you are invited to worship Jesus. This gift of Jesus is intended for you. You might say, well, you don't know where I came from. You don't know that my parents were Muslim or my uncle's a Hindu or we grew up without religion. I don't, I don't know all the details of your story. But by virtue of the fact that Iranian astrologers were invited on the night that Jesus was born, tells me that you're included in the invitation to come and to follow him. And this morning, you may have just shown up because you heard there was going to be some cool music at the end of the service. But guess what? Because you speak music, God speaks music too. And he might be talking to you today because he wanted you here to know that he's pursuing not just your ears, but your heart as well. He wants you to trust him and to know him and to follow him. This is a gift that is for you. But not only might we remember that, but also we need to remember that we have an opportunity to go and to proclaim the good news around the world. Why is it that Wildwood partners with missionaries in Brazil and in Latvia and in Nicaragua and in the Middle East and in East Asia and in Spain? Why is it that we're partnering to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? It's because we don't believe that our God has borders, right? We we understand that there is one true God and and all are invited to come and to worship him. And so just as Jesus put a star in the sky to draw the magi to the manger, so also he has scattered us around the world that we might be a star that points others to come to him. We can be a part of that through prayer and through sending or through going, but also through proclaiming the good news to all we come in contact with. Friends, we are reminded through the magi that the distant may be close. But a second thing that I think it's important for us to remember is not just that the distant may be close, but also that the close may be distant. That the close may be distant. Now, where do we see that inside of this passage? Well, we see that in what happens when the Magi show up in Jerusalem. They show up in Jerusalem. They go to the big door. They, they go, they knock on the big door outside the palace, and maybe the butler comes. I don't know who answers the door at the palace. The butler comes and opens the door, or the, the guard, the leader of the guard, and he says, uh, excuse me, what are you doing here? You and your band of cohort that has come from the east, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we are here to see the king that was born in Israel. Well, whoever answered the door closes it. And then says, well, let me go check. Hang on a second. And goes, and it makes it all the way to Herod, the king. And they go to Herod, and they say to Herod, Herod, there are some people outside who are looking for a king of Israel that was born. Well, what does Herod do next? It's fascinating to see. 
It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They asked where the king was. Herod said, where is the Christ to be born? Herod doesn't go and ask for the midwives to go see where people would be born. He goes and asks for the chief priests and the scribes. You see what Herod understood? Herod understood that the one who was born that people had come from a foreign nation to meet was not just some other kid, and it certainly wasn't an offspring of Herod, but it would be the Messiah that had been promised in Old Testament prophecy. And so Herod wanted to know from the religious leaders where Messiah was born. Well, upon getting this question, the the chief priests and the scribes, they knew the answer. This was Bible drill time, and they knew. This was not a mystery to them. They they pull it out. They say, it's Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. He would be born in Bethlehem. Now, where was Bethlehem in proximity to Jerusalem? Anybody know how far those two places are apart? Put up, your, put up your hand for me. Just humor me in this. Hang it up for a second. See how many fingers you have on your hand? Five. Five miles away. Roughly the distance from here to the OU Student Union. Now, the Magi came 1,100 miles, Mexico City distance, to come and to worship. But the chief priests and the scribes are five miles away. They know where he was to be born. But what do they do? What do they do? Nothing. Nothing. They had the right answer, but they did nothing with it. Now, friends, that is a shocking thing, isn't it? To be that close and to miss it. I mean, people from the the, the nation of Israel had longed for generations to see Messiah come. They get an announcement from a group of foreigners that he was there five miles away, and they do not go check it out. Staggering. But friends, it's a reminder to us that our distance does not mean that we are close. See, we are a group of people today that live with access to all kinds of spiritual knowledge, don't we? We have access to it. How many Bibles do you have in your home? I'm not counting the one on your phone or the one on your computer or the one on your iPad. How many physical copies of the Scripture do you have? How many, how many Christmas services have you had the privilege of attending? How much truth have you been around? How many Christian radio stations or songs can you access with a simple turn of a dial? Friends, we are surrounded by information, so much so that if I were to stand up and ask you, how, you know, where, where was Jesus born? Everybody would raise their hand. He was born in Bethlehem. We're we're five miles away. Our hand would go up. We're five miles away. We're so close. But I think the challenge for us who live within such close proximity to such truth is that like the chief priests and the scribes, we can be five miles away. We can know the right answer, but we can do nothing with it. We might be able to say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but are we trusting him with our souls? We might say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Christmas is his birthday. We might say Merry Christmas instead of Happy Holidays. We got all the right answers, but are we loving our neighbors ourselves? Are we following his ethic for our lives? 
Because I'm not saying this to, to, to point or poke at any one individual. I'm just saying it in general, it's possible for us to be so close and yet so distant. The close may be distant. I bring that up today because that's not the intent. What was the intent in Jesus' coming? It was to pursue the distant and the close. What would have been the right response for the chief priests and the scribes? It would have been to pack up and go, to join the Magi and their procession down to Bethlehem to see the child that was born. To not just have the right answer, but to have the right response. But they were not willing to do so. The distant may be close. The close may be distant. But a third thing that we need to see from these verses today is this. It has to do with the response that we have. I think we see in Matthew chapter 2, three general responses that people can have to the person of Jesus Christ. And one of these three responses will be our response. We, there, I really don't know that there is another option. The first response is to ignore. The second response is to reject. The third response is to worship. Well, where do we see those things in, inside of this passage? Well, who ignores Jesus? Well, that's the chief priests and the scribes. They were the ones that were so close, but chose to do nothing with it. Just because we have grown up going to Bible school, we've grown up going to church services, it's possible that we might still be distant from the Lord. That's not his desire for us, but in our apathy, we might be ignoring him today. It's one possible response. A second response would be to reject him. We see this from Herod, right? Herod doesn't just ignore Jesus. Herod gets activated by Jesus, but activated in the wrong direction. What does Herod do? He says, I want you, Magi, to go and find him and then tell me where he is so that I might go and worship him. But that was not Herod's true intention. What we see in the rest of Matthew chapter 2 is that Herod's real intention was for the Magi to find Jesus so that, they, so that he might go and kill him. And when the Magi slipped away down another path and didn't go back through Jerusalem as they headed home. Herod went to such extent to exterminate Jesus that he decided to try to have every male child under the age of two killed in the city of Bethlehem. Now that is a dramatic and a drastic response because Herod did not ignore Jesus. Herod saw in Jesus a threat to his role, to his place. Herod wanted his power He wanted to control his world. And anyone who stood in the way of him being sovereign over his universe, he wanted to do away with. This response to, to Jesus is a response that people still have in our world today. There are those that are so upset with Jesus and who he is that they are continuing to lash out against any follower of Christ today either by persecuting and and martyring Christians or by trying to, to pass laws that would make it difficult for people to worship him. It's not just a, a passive issue, but there are some who are actively waging a war against Christ. That is a second response possibility. But the third possibility of a response is the possibility of worshiping him. And again, we see this in the Magi. We see it from those who are distant. When they show up, they worship Jesus. But how did they worship Jesus? Well, we see that in their response. 
The first thing that they did was they pursued him. When, when they saw that he had been born, they pack up and they go. They traveled a great distance. They pursued him. You know, if, if you felt a stirring in your soul this morning and you came today, you were responding as an act of worship, pursuing the Lord. If you picked up the scripture to read it, you were pursuing. It's, a, it's an act of, of pursuit. Really, it's an act of worship, saying there's something in here that might be for me. There's something in here. There is someone in here who is greater than me. And so one of the ways that we, we worship is we pursue him. We reorganize our lives in a pursuit of a knowledge of God. But a second thing that happens is they didn't just pursue, they also persisted. They also persisted. You know, it it seems to me that there were moments that that star was not visible to the Magi. There were moments as they looked out and made that journey to the west that they no longer saw the star. We, we think that because when they get to Jerusalem and they find out that they're supposed to go to Bethlehem, it says they saw the star again. In other words, there was a time or a season that they didn't see it. We don't know exactly what happened to it, but it wasn't there. And yet they kept walking. It's not like every moment of their journey, there was an angel who was high-fiving them. You know, like at every mile marker, like at a marathon, somebody was clapping, you know, some angel was there. That's not the way it worked. They saw the star and then they took off. They had to persist through a long and arduous journey, persist through conversations of, did we really see that? Are we really doing the right thing? Is it really a good idea that we've spent all this money? What about life back home? They kept going. It's important for us to remember that as well, because there are times that we are worshiping God and we feel like we see the star, right? It comes clear to us. But there are other times when we are living out our faith in Christ and it just doesn't feel the same to us. But it's an act of worship to persist, keep going. They pursued, they persisted. When they got there, they bowed down. They laid themselves low and lifted him high. Even though he was just a toddler at the time, they understood that he was greater than they. And they made themselves small and him great. This is the very same thing that we do as we gather and we sing songs about Him. The the songs we sang at the beginning of our service, they lifted Him up. It's what happens when we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. We say that His death on the cross was sufficient to pay the penalty for my sins. And so I'm going to lift Him up and trust Him and His work. I bow low and I lift Him high. It's an act of worship. But not only is there pursuit and persistence in bowing down, but also they gave these gifts. Now, it'd be another message for another day for us to talk about what the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh were all about. But for this message, I want to just highlight one fact of it. They were expensive. Those were all expensive gifts. How expensive? They were expensive enough that if they were sold, they would fetch a handsome sum of money that would allow a father to take his wife and newborn child and flee as a refugee to Egypt where they might be provided for for a season before returning to Nazareth where he would grow up. God had provided this gift, but he provided it through the Magi. One of the ways that they worship was they gave of what they had to him. And one of the ways that we worship is we give of what we have, whether that's serving with our time and our, and our gifts or, or whether that's giving of finances to his work, but it's a part of our worship to him. See, there are really only three responses that we can have to Jesus. We can ignore him, we can reject him, or we can worship him. 
And my question for every one of us here today is to just do some soul searching. What is your response to Jesus today? Are you going to ignore him like the chief priests and the scribes? Reject him like Herod or worship him like the Magi? Now, when I say that, I want to just point out that though I see three options up there, and there certainly are three options, there really are not three equal options. It's not as though any of those three options all carry with it the same blessing. As a matter of fact, two of those options lead to judgment and not to blessing. If we ignore or reject Jesus, then we are independent of his provision and blessing and forgiveness and hope. But if we worship him, if we lay ourselves low and lift him high, then his provision for us is eternal. It was God's intention that night for all to come and to worship him. Will we respond that way? Will we respond with the worship that the Magi had? Pursue him, persist through challenging times, bowing low ourselves and giving to him. Friends, the gift of Jesus is for you. We know that because our names are tagged. Those of us who live in distant lands like Norman, Oklahoma, have been invited to worship Jesus. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to worship today. Thank you for this great truth inside of your word that you have encouraged us with. Father, I pray that all who hear my voice today, whether they are at home watching online or whether they are present with us in this room, that you would stir up within them a response of worship, that they would not ignore and they would not reject Jesus, but they would worship him as their Savior today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to respond to your gift that way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.